0: hello everybody welcome to college hoops chat i'm your host jim may this is your weekly college basketball radio show right here on wvox 1460 am in new rochelle new york thanks for tuning in excited to be here believe it or not it's five weeks until march madness it'll be here Before you know it, we certainly know how quick a month can fly by. Well, five weeks to Selection Sunday, and then uh, we'll be playing games five weeks from now in the NCAA tournament. So very exciting time. You also have the last month uh, of the season for a lot of teams that are hoping to get into the tournament, fighting to get into the tournament. And tonight's show, we start shifting a little bit where we're going to be talking Uh, about the big dance, and teams that really kind of need to fight their way in. They're not there yet. They're on the so-called bubble of the NCAA tournament. We're going to start with Rocco Miller. Rocco is a bracketologist. He's been on the show before, and he was excellent. We got a lot of positive reviews. He's going to talk today, he lives uh, in California, about West Coast teams. The Pac-12 Conference, the Mountain West Conference, and the WCC, the three big conferences out on the West Coast. Uh, The West Coast Conference is the WCC. He's going to tell us what teams out in those conferences out West have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. We in the East sometimes take the West for granted, and two years ago we did that, and the teams from the West won a bunch of games, shocking everybody in the NCAA tournament. That's why we're going to have Rocco on, talk about some of the teams to watch out for, in the western part of the United States. And then we're going to have our friend Patrick Madden from the Big Big East blog. He's going to also talk about the top teams in the Big East that have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. Right now, I think we agree, he and I, that there's five and one on the bubble. Then we're going to have Kenny from Rye. Kenny and I are going to talk about Iona, Providence, which we usually do. And then last guest we have lined up is Zach Voynow. He uh, does a website called Sidelines. UNCW for UNC at Wilmington, uh, a really beautiful college, by the way. I've been there many times. Zach's going to call and talk a little bit about uh, University of North Carolina at Wilmington, other teams in the Colonial Athletic uh, Association. So we got a great show. Let me get into what I want to talk about before Rocco calls. We're going to talk with Kenny from Rye about Iona. Let me just say, Iona had a great weekend. They really did. Friday night, they beat Mount St. Mary in a blowout, 81-51. I was there relaxing, nice evening. <laughs> we did not have to worry about a loss. Iona blew out Mount St. Mary's. Next Sunday, Fairfield, 70-61 in the brand new arena at Fairfield. Beautiful. Really, really impressive. Uh, tough game for Iona. We'll talk about it with Kenny from Rye, but Iona got the win 70-61. Let me give a shout out to St. Bonaventure, a school I attended. Huge, surprising week for the team. Last weekend, I told you they had beaten VCU in a big upset on the road. Well, they stayed down in Richmond for a couple of days and then upset Richmond. So they beat VCU away in Richmond, then beat Richmond in Richmond. Uh, So they had camped out down in uh, the capital of the state of Virginia, and they got a big win against Richmond on Wednesday, 66-62. And then on Saturday... St. Bonaventure beat Dayton, one of the best teams in the Atlantic 10, a possible NCAA tournament team, 68 to 59 at home, terrific crowd, very loud, really got behind the team and the players responded. Somehow, St. Bonaventure is now in fourth place in the Atlantic 10 Conference. Now remember, I've talked to you about this before, St. Bonaventure lost their entire team. Not one player came back from last season. They had to rebuild the entire roster with transfers and freshmen. And the fact that they're now in fourth place in their league is a great tribute to their terrific coach, Mark Schmidt. He, as far as I'm concerned, he's a top 25 coach in America. And the fact that he's got the Bonnies in fourth place in their league after they lost all their starters, all the backups, is pretty unbelievable. Right, another team we follow here, bad news. We just had good news with Iona and St. Bonaventure. North Carolina Tar Heels had a bad week. They had won four in a row. looked like they'd turned the corner. The Tar Heels were playing better and better. And they had two big games this week that mattered against possible teams for the NCAA tournament. All right? They lost uh, midweek on Wednesday night to Pitt. 65-64, a very close game. They were home. They should have taken care of business. That was a winnable game. They couldn't close out the game. Pitt was tougher. Pitt made the key shots. Pitt's now beat them twice this season. So North Carolina loses Wednesday night to Pitt. And then Saturday night, they play the whole entire game at Duke. Really close. End up losing 63-57. Uh, Duke really was tough down the stretch. They played better. Played really good all game, Duke. Uh, and beat North Carolina. So they got two losses last week. And believe it or not, they're now 15-8. and And North Carolina, who started the season number one in the nation, is now on the bubble. They're on the bubble. I'm I, I, I kind of like shocked by this. I'm a North Carolina fan, but, you know, this game against Duke on Saturday kind of revealed some of their problems. They didn't shoot well, 34% from the field. Uh, they only shot three free throws all game, which means they weren't attacking the rim. Uh, that's a troubling thing because they have players that can attack the rim. Uh, sometimes they sit outside and rely on three-pointers way too much. Here's a crazy thing. They lost in block shots, 11-3. to 11 block shots for Duke, three shots for North Carolina. Derek Lively, one of those five-star freshmen at Duke, had a really mature basketball game for our freshman. He only had four points, but he did what he needed to do. 14 rebounds and eight block shots. He totally disrupted North Carolina's offense. And they got a big game from Jeremy Roach, who's a junior with 20 points. This is Duke and Therese Proctor, a freshman from Australia, got 11 points. He looked really good. I'll tell you, folks, I'm a North Carolina Tar Heel fan, but there's no question Duke is getting better. That young team is getting better, and they, they got a nice win against North Carolina. And the big game that people have been talking about is, uh, over the weekend, you had a big rivalry game, Purdue against Indiana. Purdue was number one in the nation. Indiana held home court. And beat Purdue 7-9-74 in a really good basketball game. I was pretty impressed. the but let's face it, Purdue's still 22 and 2, and they lost a close rivalry game on the road. Uh, There's still a team that has a great chance to win the national championship. But shout out to Indiana. They took care of business and got a very key win this Saturday night. So all right, so we have our guest, Rocco Miller, our West Coast guy. are you there? I am here. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing great. I'm so happy you're, you you called because we don't want to neglect the West Coast. A couple of years ago, the entire country neglected the West Coast teams, and they went into the NCAA tournament, and they got a whole bunch of wins nobody was ready for. Didn't that happen, my bracketologist friend? Well, you know, it, it will
1: happen from time to time. We, there is a lot of great basketball programs throughout the West, and, you know, I think every year uh, the quality of depth uh, improves, um, you know, it's easy to, to say that, but you know, I think last year was the emergence of the West Coast Conference beyond Gonzaga. I think, uh, putting San Francisco into the field along with St. Mary's, um, uh, you know, showed the commitment to basketball, uh, not, not only monetarily, Financially, the league's done well, uh, but, but also, uh, you look at this year, those, two, those two teams, Gonzaga and St. Mary's are excellent, but you also have a, a crop of quality teams that could upset them in the WCC tournament. And now it's evolved into the WAC conference where there's about eight to nine deep teams. Uh, any of those eight or nine could win that thing and win a game. In March Madness this year, uh, you look at the big sky, a team like Eastern Washington has won 12 in a row, unprecedented, uh, 12, 12 and 0 record in the big sky conference. They had never in 35 years finished better or started faster than 5 and 0. Um, and then, and then you look at the big west where we have about five quality teams out there. And I have not even mentioned the Pac 12, the mount or the mountain west, the, the premier conferences out in the west.
0: Right, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So I'm so glad you covered the other conferences quickly as well, because it's not just the Big Three. There's a lot of good basketball happening in the western part of our United States. So first, before we start, just tell people, because I, you know, I have some listeners that may not know what the term means. You are a bracketologist. Why don't you tell people what that, that term exactly means?
1: Yeah, so bracketology in general is the art and science of predicting what the NCAA tournament will look like if the tournament were to start at this present moment um so throughout the season fans the basketball community coaches players uh, basically anybody involved with the sport um are excited to find out like after a certain result uh where they stand in terms of if the if the tournament started right this minute um so it's a constant evolution it also is an opportunity to educate um, fans in the community about the process. And the process is um, 12 committee members uh, today get together in a room uh, beginning on the Wednesday before selection Sunday, and they wrap up their work basically the day before that Sunday on a Saturday. So it's about a four day process of tabulating votes uh, for teams up and down the bracket, starting with the number one seeds all the way down to the 16 seeds. And it's an elaborate process where, um, you go through not only selecting, uh, the 36 at large bids, which is the critical part of the process, but of course, figuring out where to slot in the 32 automatic bid winners, uh, from the 32 leagues across America. Um, and so that, that process is not as straightforward as probably the majority of the public believes. And, um, there's a lot of bracketing rules and principles that are followed along the way in order to produce what is that final bracket, um, that thing on Selection Sunday that everybody loves, uh, to print out the Monday before or just get on their computer and start staring at for three days before the action starts um, the following Thursday.
0: All right, great description. Rocco is a bracketologist. I am not. I have to go on websites like Rocco's to understand, as of today, who makes the tournament and who doesn't. So let me let me throw out a... A a, a, a statement. All right, Rocco, and they'll let you respond. Uh, I looked at the big three, the big three conferences on the West Coast. Of course, everybody thinks Pac-12, then you probably go, I guess, uh, Western, uh, West Coast Conference, and then you got Mountain West. You got these three conferences. I'm going to put something out there. On my notes, tell me if I'm wrong, Bracketologist, Mountain West is going to get the most bids on the West Coast this year. I mean, it's, it's certainly possible.
1: Uh, it's certainly possible right now. There's, there's five very serious contenders. Uh, I, I, think in, in today's bracket, um, four of them are, are in the field. Uh, some might consider it three and a half. Uh, I do have Boise State going to the first four today, uh, with Nevada, San Diego State and New Mexico safely in the field. And then Utah State right there as, uh, the second team out. Uh, again, we're talking about a snapshot in time. This all could change within a day or two once these teams play one more time because that's how close a lot of them are to either making the field or, or missing out on the field. So I think when it's all said and done, Mountain West probably ends up, of course, in that three to five range. The safest answer is is four uh, and and probably a pretty good chance one of the five will be in Dayton in the first four. Much 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 like uh, Wyoming was last year, uh, and they were the last team in last year, so I could definitely see something like that uh, repeating itself uh, in the Pac-12, which I think is your larger point. Can the Mountain West get more bids than the Pac-12? Yes. Well, you've got you've got, you've got two, you know, shoe ins with uh, UCLA and Arizona, very dominant teams, protected seed level teams, uh, and number one seed contenders, um, e- eating all uh, all or most of the hay in the league. Uh, USC is now in a really good position to get in. They have that win over UCLA. They have other good wins throughout their their uh, their campaign. So as long as they can finish off the job from here, I think USC finds a way in. And I would not count out a team like Oregon uh, because they're starting to play better. They've got some good wins along the way. They also have some very questionable losses. Uh, so Oregon's still alive. Arizona State not playing very well lately at all. Uh, but they do have good wins along the way, like Creighton, like Michigan, and others. So um you never know if Arizona State does get hot later. They could get back in the mix. Um You also have Utah. Utah is a team that has also had some ups and downs, but they, they do have a win over Arizona, and there's some other good wins. So, so Utah is not out of it. So it's hard to say right now because in the Pac-12, if you beat Arizona, if you beat UCLA, you can drastically improve your chances. Uh, whereas in the Mountain West, there's not a win like that you can go out and get. Um, the best team you could probably beat in the Mountain West is San Diego State. If you do that, you're you're still not moving the needle nearly as far as an Arizona win or UCLA win. So it's it, it's a very um, you know hot and cold topic depending on on the day, the week, the the, the leftover schedule. But we are getting down to the nitty gritty, and it's starting to look like uh, you know Mountain West can get up to five. And and if fact, if the Pac-12 doesn't get to the to where they want to be, you know, they might be stuck with only getting three teams in, which we've seen before. We saw that a few years ago.
0: Yes. So on my notes, it, I kind of, it's funny. I mean, I'm on the same page as a bracketologist. I had UCLA, USC, and Arizona in for the Pac-12. I have question marks next to Utah and Arizona State. Arizona State 16 and 8. I wouldn't have them in. Uh, Utah, 16-9, I wouldn't have them in. And then I wrote next to Oregon wild card because I know they do factor in uh, injuries at the committee level. They had a lot of injuries at Oregon. They're 14-10. and 10. They So they could get really hot over the next month, and maybe Oregon does slip in. So I put them down as a wild card, Rocco.
1: Yeah, and we'll know about Oregon by the end of this week because this is their biggest week left in the year. They host both of the Arizona school I'm sorry, both of the both of the uh, Los Angeles schools. So USC comes to Eugene on Thursday. UCLA comes to Eugene on Saturday. Uh, if they're able to sweep those games, you know they're going to be very much in the, in the bubble picture. Um, I don't know if that gets them all the way in because they do they do own ten losses today. But down the stretch after that. Uh, they basically only have the Bay Area schools who are way out of it, uh, Cal and Stanford, the Washington schools who are also fairly uh, too far out of it to get back into it, and and the Beavers, their rival. So, assuming, uh, and it's a big assumption because some of those games are tricky, uh, but if they go five and zero in those last five, and and then you know take care of business this week, or even just go six and one down the stretch, I think there's enough. To- you know, that gets them to the 20 wins. So they're, they're going to be interesting going into the, at least the Pac-12 tournament if they can pull that off. And and uh, this is their last big chance here this weekend.
0: That's a great point. So I'll be watching that, folks, see if or, how Oregon does. They got two huge games this week. So if Oregon ever won those two games this week, actually they'd be 16-10 and 10, uh, with an easier schedule. After that, they'd really have a great shot to get in the tournament. So maybe I'll take off the wild card next to Oregon. But not yet. We'll see how the week goes. All right, let me talk about Mountain West. So impressed with that league, Rocco. And I think so many people don't know what's going on there, but you got San Diego State, 18 and 5, Boise State, 18 and 6, Nevada, 18 and 6, Utah State, 19 and 5, and New Mexico, 19 and 4, who we Iona fans saw earlier this year as it got a terrific backcourt. Those are five really strong teams. All of them, to me, are NCAA tournament teams. But here's a question. What the heck happened to Wyoming? At the beginning of the season, everybody had Wyoming at the top of the Mountain West. I see they fell to 7-15. and 15. What happened? Well, yeah, I mean, they just
1: never were able to get uh, Graham E.K. on the court. You know, their, their big man who was dominant last year and, you know, on everybody's All-Mountain West team to start the season, he, he hasn't played a single game still. Uh, there's, there's small to little hope that he'll get on the court by the end of the year, I mean, maybe at this point, it just makes sense to shut them down. Here we are on, uh, you know, February the 6th, Wyoming Cowboys are seven and 15 overall, two and eight in the league. And, you know, getting wiped out by teams like San Jose state and, and air force. (laughs) So it's just, it's been a tough, it's been a really tough go. Um, There was also a lot of expectations on Wyoming with the transfer portal additions they got with Ethan Anderson and uh, Max Ongpong Og, uh, Polo and, and Jake Kyman, all from uh, either USC or UCLA. Right, they got big time players. Ta- yeah, big-time Pac-12 transfers. Uh, majority of those guys have not panned out. Kymen's been basically a reserve. Um, you know, Max has only started six games. And so, you know, Hunter Maldonado's had to take on a lot of the load, and he's also been hurt. And I'm... Uh, you know, I feel bad for Jeff Linder and his staff. That guy can really coach. The staff is a great group of guys. I've gotten to know them over the last few years, uh, but I think I think they've just had a, a really rough go. Um, it, it actually speaks a little bit to how tough the league is. Uh, they just haven't been able to to get over the hump. They took they took an ugly loss right in the beginning of the year from Southeastern Louisiana, and I don't think they've been able to uh, recover. And and they've really never got it fully rolling uh, to you know, regardless. So it's just been, it's
0: just been tough. Let's switch. We got one more conference. We didn't do the West coast conference, kind of a getting to be a much more well-known conference because Gonzaga sits in that conference and St. Mary's, they played a game on Saturday night. I watched the game. You know, I always joke Rocco that when I grow up, I want to be a Gonzaga fan because they enjoy so much winning out there. Uh, I watched Gonzaga play really well for about thirty of minutes in that game and they fell apart in the last five to ten minutes. St. Mary's got the win at home. Kind of a crazy game. I'm sure you watched.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, you know, I was supposed to be there the entire week and had something come up last minute where I couldn't make it. But uh, just like you watched the game, it was, you know, tremendous uh, effort by St. Mary's to to get back in. it. I think they were down eight with about three minutes to go and found a way to get it it into overtime with a a mini run uh, down the stretch. You know, Mitchell Saxon, ended up becoming a big a big load with 15 points, 11 rebounds, uh even though, you know, Drew Timmy's still there, he he still lacks a little bit defensively and um St. Mary's took advantage of that a year ago. Uh same game, I actually covered that game last year when St. Mary's knocked them off. Um in a much bigger surprise because Gonzaga came in their number 1 last year, but um yeah, it was it was a tremendous game. It it's a big deal on the West Coast cuz uh, in the WCC, Gonzaga's owned this league for tw- 26 years, and um, St. Mary's now has a two-game lead in the standings with, with three weeks to go. And, you know, this this conference wraps up a little bit earlier with the conference tournament starting early. If St. Mary's wins the league, that's um, that's going to be pretty historic in Moraga. They've had so many great teams, but getting over the hump with Gonzaga um, has been, basically just been a pipe dream uh, for all those years. Uh, so it's, it's a huge deal, and, and kudos to the Gales. They're playing extremely well. They're, they're the most prepared team I've seen all year. Um, they come in ex- incredibly uh, prepared every single night. Uh, I've been at three of their games this year. And so, um, the, you know, they're, they're, they work their butts off, and they, they kind of get what they put in.
0: Right. So I was so impressed with St. Mary's, particularly at a freshman guard who was amazing in the final minutes of the game. Got like five yeah. big buckets in the last five minutes.
1: Uh, Aiden Mahaney. He's, He's a awesome. local kid. Yeah. The kid is awesome. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. He's a true freshman from down the hill. A lot of true freshmen, especially at the, at the higher levels of college basketball, are not getting those kinds of opportunities, unless you're like a five-star and then you build a team around him. He's just a local kid. He committed a, long, uh, a while back, like uh, as a junior in
2: high school.
0: All right, Rocco, we got it. Uh, quick, one last question, Rocco, before we go. Besides St. Mary's Gonzaga, who has a better chance of making the tournament, BYU or Santa Clara? Well, in either, in
1: either case, Jim, it's going to be an automatic bid, and I would have to say Santa Clara just because they have more weapons. Okay.
0: Rocco, fabulous job. Thank you for educating our viewers about West Coast basketball. Thank you.
1: My pleasure. Anytime, Jim. You guys have a great
0: night. Thank you, too. All right, folks. We're going to give Missano going to commercial break. We'll be right back. We love that basketball. Get okay, folks, so we're back on College Hoops Chat. I'm the host, Jim Asano, here on WVOX. Let's get right to our guest, Patrick Madden, who hosts the Big Big East blog. How are you, Patrick? Jim, I'm fine. So thank you for being back on the show. You've uh, come on lots of times to give us some great info about the Big East. Uh, I read your blog this morning, and I read the article about um, right now, Uh, Who are the teams that are looking like they're kind of in a great place to make the NCAA tournament? Uh, You said there were five Big East teams. uh, UConn, Marquette, Creighton, Xavier, and Providence. I would certainly agree with you on that. With Seton Hall being a bubble team, uh, I think your alma mater is Seton Hall. Your love is Seton Hall, and they're on the bubble playing better. Uh, The Big East is kind of in a nice place with five teams uh, looking to be uh, strong for the tournament and one on the bubble and that me also is interesting is that Villanova is it one of these teams this year.
3: Yeah, that's right. I mean Villanova, they've had injuries. They've tried to incorporate the talent as it's gotten healthy. Unfortunately, they've had Justin Moore who was who would have been an All Big East player back the last 3 games and unfortunately they've gone 0 and 3 since Moore came back. Now they were playing Providence, Marquette and Creighton, but still the idea when the season began was that when Moore came back, if he came back, they would be able to win games like that. And unfortunately, you know, simply because they're still trying to figure things out a little bit as a team, maybe because the teams that they were playing are better than they thought, we thought they were at the beginning of the season. You know, Villanova has struggled within the last uh, couple of weeks.
0: Right. So we have this net ranking, right? That's the ranking done by the, uh, for the committee uh, that's going to select the teams for the NCAA tournament. And... Kind of surprisingly to people uh, like me, and maybe you too, Patrick, who um, have watched the Big East this year, the uh, rank, the kind of ranking system they have for the net has UConn as the best team in the Big East. Right now, no way Big UConn is the best team in the Big East. They got those wins early in the season that, that kind of helped them up with their net ranking, but... You know, I think Marquette's better. I think Creighton's better, and I think Xavier's better. There's three teams right there, but UConn is still the best team in the net ranking. Right. I mean, that's simply because they have quality wins
3: when the season began, and as I explained in the blog this morning, they managed to blow. I mean, they did not. They won every non-conference game by more than 10 points, and that includes games against Alabama, Iowa State, and at Florida. So if you look at the fact that their margin of victory is better than some of those other teams in the Big East, that might explain why their net rating is better than some of the teams you know, that, that, we, that are better than them in the standings, like Marquette and Xavier right now. Uh, what that's going to benefit UConn, as I'll explain later in the, in the blog, is that if they do get it together within the last few weeks of the regular season, they could move up from, let's say, a five or a six seed up to maybe a four seed. And that gives them the opportunity, instead of having to be sent out someplace, they might get a preferable placement in the first two weeks in Albany, as opposed to, let's say, having to go to Orlando or Denver or Sacramento, and they'll get a whole lot of UConn fans out to the tournament games in Albany if they can manage to get into that three- or 4 seed area.
0: I agree. So, it's kind of remarkable, right? As you said, UConn, had an unbeaten non-conference schedule, including big-time games, and yet um, they're only one game over 500 in the Big East. All right, so let me just uh, switch gears here. Tomorrow night, you talk about UConn wanting to kind of turn their season around to get back uh, to be a strong uh, team as they were earlier in the season. They can do that if they uh, tomorrow night at home to get a win against Marquette.
3: Yes, uh, that's a huge game uh, for both schools. Actually, Marquette has visions not only of getting one of those good seeds that we just talked about, but Marquette wants to get a regular season Big East title, uh, and they're in good position to do that should they have a big month of February. And getting a win at Connecticut, like, for example, Xavier, who they're tied with on top of the Big East standings right now, beat Connecticut a couple of weeks ago at Connecticut. So they might fall a step behind. They would definitely fall a step behind the standings and a step behind Xavier. In the way the first tiebreaker works, I'm not going to, I'll explain that in a blog piece later in the month. They would fall behind Xavier in a tiebreaker should they lose at Connecticut because Xavier has that win and Connecticut's sort of the highest team in the standings that they have different results against at this point, depending on how that game tomorrow night goes.
0: I right, agree. So let's talk about one other team Creighton, six in a row. I thought Creighton was the best team in the Big East coming into the season. They started slow, but in their defense, their seven-foot dominant center got hurt for four games, but now they've won six in a row. Creighton's now looking like that team that could make the Elite Eight uh, in the NCAA tournament, don't you think?
3: Absolutely. I think it's. I think it was simply a matter of getting cogbrenner healthy and then getting the team to sort of gel a little bit. If you watch them play over in the tournament in Hawaii at the Maui Invitational in Thanksgiving when they played Arkansas... Uh, you could see how the potential that that Creighton team had. And then they had to wait another six weeks while Kalkbrenner got fully healthy from uh, the illness that he was suffering at that time uh, to get the team back together. And then it took a little while for them to you know, get playing on all cylinders. The one thing people have talked a little bit about, that if you watch the game Saturday night when they beat Villanova, their defense is back. Uh, and that's something which carried them last season around this time, from being even below the bubble to making, it, uh, to making it to the second round of the tournament. So if their defense is back at the elite level that they were at at this time last year, they're a very dangerous They're a team you do not want to see in your bracket uh, when you get to the NCAA tournament. And I would say uh, today, barring any injuries, they are the favorite to win the Big East tournament in four weeks because they played so well in the Big East tournament last year. And I think Greg McDermott, their coach, is hungry to get, let's say, the one thing that's not on his resume, and that's winning a Big East tournament title.
0: All right, so we got about a minute left. We have Kenny from Rye, I think, on hold. But since he's going to want to know your thoughts, Providence, they're number 36 in the net. Right now they're in the tournament, Providence. Um, how are you feeling about Providence's chances over the next month?
3: Uh, they're definitely going to stay in the tournament. I think that the gap between the good teams and the bad teams and the biggies is, is just too great to see Providence go into a prolonged slump barring some type of injury. Uh, I think the other question, a lot of Pro, there's two questions Providence fans want to know. One is can they repeat as the regular season champions and they're going to have to win a couple of, uh, let's say, games on the road between now and four weeks from now to get in position to do that. And the second thing, as I said in the blog, what type of seeding are they get? A lot of people have them in that six- and seven-seed range right now. They're another team that, if they can get on a nice little run in February, could get themselves into, let's say, that four-seed discussion. And that would put them in Albany, uh, possibly. And last year, if you remember, they played their first two games of the NCAA tournament in Buffalo and had a lot of fans come over from Providence to Buffalo, Albany's five hours closer, to Providence than Buffalo is, so they'd be another group who if they got a preferred seating in Albany, they'd get a big crowd to the first two NCAA tournament games, and that could give them a very big step towards repeating a trip to the Sweet 16.
0: All right, Patrick, let me close with this. Tomorrow, uh, not tomorrow, Wednesday night, your Seton Hall Pirates are hosting those Creighton Blue Jays. Good luck with that. That's going to be a tough game for your squad. Oh,
3: absolutely. I think if Creighton's playing the way They've been playing the last few weeks. Seton Hall has an almost insurmountable opponent they have to deal with. But the way Seton Hall plays defense, if a guy like Alamir Dawes gets red hot and a guy like Kadari Richmond's been playing the way he's been playing the last few weeks, uh, they might be able to pick off a team like Creighton. But that's certainly a game that uh, it's one of those games that's sort of an under-the-radar game this week. But it's definitely something that a lot of people are going to be watching because of Seton Hall's bubble implications and Creighton's seeding implications, and they have an outside shot of winning the Big East regular season title.
0: A fabulous job, Patrick. You're great. You do a great job covering the Big East, and I'm glad you're a friend of our show. Thanks for calling in today. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. All right, let's go to Kenny from Rye, and let me tell him the good news when he gets on here. Kenny from Rye, are you there? Our number one caller. Kenny. James, how we doing? You're there. You are there. All right, here's our Mm -hmm. number one caller, Kenny from Rye. Kenny, did you hear the news? Patrick from the Big Big East blog says your Providence Friars, who are 17-6, and 9-3 and three in the Big East, are, are a lock for the NCAA tournament. How about that?
2: Well, as we talked about, I mean, if you look at it from a standpoint, of games always get tighter at the end of the year. And what they have left, uh, if they go five hundred, it kind of puts them at 22 wins. So that 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 probably is what he's taking it off of. And I think if you can steal off a couple others and, and then obviously play well into the tournament, you've got a better chance. You've got a good chance. I do like his... Scenario, though, with them um, playing well and then getting to Albany, that makes a huge difference and is essential. We we'll, we'll, travel fairly well you know, within a certain amount of miles. I mean, if you get out to the West Coast, then it gets difficult.
0: One thing I wanted to say to Patrick, but I didn't get a chance, Villanova is not going to make the NCAA tournament this year. We know that. Uh, they're, uh, right now, Villanova is a 10-13. and 13. It's just not going to happen for them this year. But you know what Villanova could do? They could be a spoiler to other teams in the Big East, uh, not just in this last month of the season, but in the tournament. If Justin Moore gets his game fully back and the team starts playing a little better, they may knock somebody out, out of the uh, Big East tournament.
2: I think with the team they have, I think they're thinking that we're 10-13, but if we get on a run here and then get our point guard healthy, that we, we could win the Big East tournament and then get in. Right. Uh, so, I, that's that. you know, a, a team with a fair amount of experience, particularly with somebody who was initially listed for, for a possible first-round draft pick, Uh, they think a little higher, uh, I think, than just kind of surviving and knocking a few people off.
0: Right. The only other team we didn't discuss with Patrick was Xavier, um, number 24 in the net. Uh, They look to be a lock for the NCAA tournament. Only problem there is one of their very best players is out for a month, Zach Fremantle. We'll see how Xavier holds together over the next month. All right, Kenny, let's change gear. Let's talk about this very solid weekend for the Iona University Gales.
2: Solid is the perfect example of what they have turned themselves into here from a perspective of a little bit of more balanced scoring I saw down the line from a standpoint of Mount Saint Mary's uh into Fairfield. And uh so that we have that situation where, you know, they're getting healthy and, and playing better toward the end of the year. And as we know, the goal for them is to get to the MAC tournament, and then win that to get into the NCAAs. And I think that's obviously the goal, and I think that's how you know, is coaching them now.
0: I agree. So Friday night, they blew Mount St. Mary's out, 81-51. They were up at halftime, 48-18. to So Iona had an easy Friday night, tougher Sunday. We'll come back and talk about that. Kenny from Rye, hold on. Folks, we're going to go to this commercial break right now. Come back, talk to Kenny from Rye a little more about the Iona University Gales.
3: We
1: love that get
0: Bye. Okay, folks, we are back basketball. with Kenny from Rye here on College Hoops Chat. Kenny, uh, we talked about Iona blowing out Mount St. Mary's 81 51. Iona was just bigger and faster, 30 point win. Uh, Mount St. Mary's is new to the MAC Conference. But then on Sunday, College hey. Hoops Chat went on the road, Kenny from Rye. We went to the game and covered the game at Fairfield in their brand new. Beautiful arena. I put pictures up on social media. Very impressive for the Fairfield Stag Nation.
2: And as you mentioned, a good recruiting uh, tool as well from the pictures you put up. I wasn't able to get there, but uh, they surely did a hell of a job of uh, building a new arena. And I'm sure the locker room facilities are the same.
0: Right. So Iona got up by 21 points in the second half. Uh, First half was close. Iona was up 28-20. Second half, Iona exploded out in the second half, gets a 21-point lead, but you got to hand it to those stags. They never quit. They kept fighting. They went on an 18-4 run, got it down to five points, but then Iona dug in, made enough plays in the closing minute to hold the lead and get their 16th win. Uh, Nelly Jr. Joseph at 18 uh, as a Dennis Jenkins. So solid road win for Iona because they're going on the road this week. They're shuffling off to Buffalo. Kenny from Rye.
2: Yeah, as you said, Fairfield's always been a team over the course of the last few years that we've watched them. as guess we say closely. Where defense and defense and defense is one, two, three. So that showed again as you as you call it, you crawl back into the game with defense, and they they did a good job. Um, and then going forward, as you mentioned, the this coming week they go on the road and do the. the I don't want to say back to back, but it's a Friday Sunday game, and we'll have to see how they they come out of you know five days of practice or so. But I think it does look good from a perspective of what I have took away from the. Scoring of over the course of the last few games, it's getting much more balanced. It's not you don't get uh, Clayton basically carrying the team. You get, you know, as you mentioned at Fairfield, it was Jenkins and Joseph with 18. Uh, prior to that, it was, you know, with with regards to um, Punapiak you got a very balanced scoring. Joseph with 15. You got Jenkins 15, Clayton 17, and even David's tripping in for 13. So that's a good sign for Iona going forward because they're going they can't ride the back of someone in particular who's. I don't want to say injured, but he's coming off an injury. So I think it looks good for them heading into this long weekend.
0: I agree. So shuffling off to Buffalo this weekend. Friday, Canisius shouldn't be too hard. Canisius having a down year. They're 5-17. and 17. They've lost <clears walked throat> five in a row. Feeling pretty good about Friday. But Sunday, folks, will be a tough game. Niagara is 13-9. They've won four in a row. They beat St. Peter's, Manhattan, Canisius, and Siena, the top team in the conference. So Niagara will be a tough game for Iona, But Kenny, here's what I'm hoping. If Iona, Iona can come out of Buffalo with two wins, then they have Manhattan, St. Peter's, and Mount St. Mary's again. Iona could ride a nice win streak into this rematch on February 26th against Siena. If Iona could get on a roll until that game, they would be 21-7 and ready to kind of take on Siena and get a win at home.
2: Yeah, and as you say the, the the trip up to Buffalo is not not an easy one or a Friday Sunday game so as you said they can steal those two then they hit it with good momentum into the last part of the season uh, and again Siena is going to be the the the, uh, the game that either you know makes it or breaks it for them from a perspective of getting some confidence heading into the tournament with the ultimate goal now of both teams of winning the Mac and then getting into the NCAs
0: I agree all right Kenny from Rye, great job we have our next caller uh Have a great week. We'll be talking about basketball all week, you and I. Thanks, James. Thank you. All right, folks, let's go to the phone line for our next caller. Um, Zach Voinow, are you there? Yeah, how you doing? Hey, Zach, how's it going? I'm so glad we finally got to connect. Uh, You do some nice work on the uh, Twitter with Sidelines UNCW. Uh, You have an exciting year uh, down in Wilmington uh, with – uh, kind of one of the top teams in this Colonial Athletic Association. Uh, it's really a great season. Nineteen and six for those UNC Wilmington Seahawks.
4: Yeah, I mean, right now we're uh, technically in third place, but we're only one game behind Hofstra and, uh, and Charleston, so it should be a good finish.
0: You really got four really strong teams in the Colonial. Charleston's twenty-two and three. Hofstra's seventeen and eight. Wilmington is nineteen and six, and Towson is sixteen and eight. Um, I'm not sure who's going to win that tournament. I would give any of those four teams a chance to win that Colonial Athletic Association tournament. I think is in D.C., right?
4: Uh, yeah, it's, it's in D.C. again this year. I think uh, next year is going to be the contract year for uh, that venue.
0: So what do you think? Do you see uh, all those those four top teams all having a chance to win it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think
4: I, I would say more of the top three, I'll say Hofstra, Charleston, UNCW, only because uh, one of Towson's uh, starting guards, their starting point guard, is out for the season now, um, and he's not. Uh, you know, he's not like one of those guys that scores the most points or has the most assists or anything like that. But he's their best defensive player, and he's kind of their glue guy. All
0: right. So this week we have the big matchup again. This time it's UNC Wilmington going to Charleston. That'll be a really hard game. Tell everybody why Charleston is so good this year.
4: I mean, Charleston, Charleston's so good because. Anybody on their team can beat you. They play 10-plus guys deep, um, and it's kind of just next man up for, for everything all over the court. They don't have you know, a true point guard. They have two different guards that both handle the ball, that both shoot lights out. They're great passers. They don't turn it over. They have uh, wings that can guard the, the one through the four, and they have a really good uh, European
0: center. So Charleston, I think, from what I've seen, has a really terrific coach. He's really kind of elevated the program are there any rumors that he could be moving on at the end of the season?
4: Um, I mean, there's always going to be rumors, especially with you know a guy like that at a, at a school like Charleston. I haven't heard anything concrete. Um, the thing about Pat Kelsey, um, from what I've heard from him, is like his exact quote is that he wants to build the Gonzaga of the East in,
0: in Charleston. That's funny. That's um, what Rick Petino said about Iona, who we cover on our show, as you know, all the time. Rick Petino wants to also build the Gonzaga of the East. How about that?
4: I, I, I hope Rick Petino and Pat Kelsey both do it.
0: Yeah, nice. That's right. I agree. I, I, the more mid majors that are building strong programs, it's good for college basketball.
4: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely, it is. Especially now with uh, with how the NIL is. I mean, it's it's great that mid majors are having coaches that hopefully stay in
0: one spot. I agree. Now Hofstra, uh, I saw them play earlier in the year. They beat Iona, as a matter of fact, very early in the season. Uh, do you see Hofstra on the same level as Charleston and UNC Wilmington?
4: Yeah. Yeah, I do. Because you know Hofstra doesn't have uh, the big man depth quite as much. As uh, Charleston and maybe even as UNCW. I mean, UNCW doesn't have a ton of it either, um, and that that kind of comes with the territory of being a mid-major. But, uh, but Har- Hofstra's guards are, are probably the best in the in the entire CAA. I mean, Aaron Estrada is one of the best guards I think in the entire country. Um, and if they and if they get hot, they can be they can beat anyone. I don't care who it is, uh, if it's a power five school or not.
0: I agree. All right, so let's talk about uh, the UNC Wilmington folks. You may not know this, but I do root for UNC Wilmington because my wife and I own a house in Wilmington, a retirement house that at some point we'll use uh, in the winter months. And uh, it's one mile from the campus, so whenever I'm down there at the house, we go visit the campus. Beautiful campus. You graduated from there, right, Zach? I'm actually still in school, yeah, but I graduated this year, so I'm I'm excited about that. Oh, congratulations. You're going to graduate. So that's uh, great. What's what's next for you?
4: Uh, You know, your guess is as good as mine. Hopefully to something in sports media.
0: Good luck. I hope you can find something. All right, Zach, Wilmington, I love the coach. Uh, talk about Wilmington's coach. To me, he's in control. He's a smart guy, and he really gets his team to play.
4: Yeah, uh, Takaya Siddle is definitely, I mean, especially at this level, a really good coach. I mean, he comes from Kevin Keats. He was here as an assistant when Kevin Keats was, was in Wilmington as the head coach. Now, uh, of course, he's the NC State head coach. But Siddle really is a great motivator. Um, I think you can, you can see it because he's, he's expressive. But also, whenever he isn't expressive, the guys respond just as well. I think he has a real connection with all the players.
0: He really does. Uh, and, I, I, you know, unfortunately, I don't get to see them a lot because I'm so frustrated with that Flow Sports uh, deal. I, I can't wait for the Colonial to get out of that contract and get in with ESPN like every other conference in America. Yeah, I
4: mean, it, ESPN, whatever it is, I mean, anything is better than, than Flow Sports. It's it's just a bad, bad, uh, bad product, bad quality, and it costs too much.
0: Well, and it's expiring, right? Yeah, I believe, at at
4: the end of the year, I
0: believe. Right, so hopefully they'll get on ESPN, because I would love to watch more of UNC Wilmington. All right, so um, it's it's an exciting time for the Colonial. It's one of, probably the stronger Colonial uh, set of uh, leading teams in a while. And uh, I actually see a team like a Charleston or UNC Wilmington, if they win the conference, uh, they could win a game or two in the NCAA tournament. Yeah,
4: I think any of those teams at the top, especially the top three, I think that uh, they're all going to be, even Towson, I think they're all going to be a, a really hard matchup for whoever draws them.
0: I agree. Hold hold. Do we have any other calls, Chuck? Or are we still going here? All right. So, Zach, let, let me just say thank you. We have one more caller holding. Great job. Uh, keep your great work up on Twitter, and we'll be in touch over this last month of the season. Thanks again, Jim. Thanks, Zach. Great job. All right, let's go to the phone line. Uh, John from Portchester, are you there? Jim, I'm here. How are you? All right. The stage is yours. Tell us how you're feeling about the Iona University Gales.
5: Well, it was a a, a great weekend. The uh, Mount St. Mary's game was uh, over, uh, if you blinked. Clayton with uh, Clayton Jr. with an incredible first half. Team shoot 7 for 15 from three-point uh, range. And we got some uh, good minutes off the bench, even with Brookshire and Florence out. So, I.O. played 17, Weiss played 10, and Sunday played uh, 7. Then in Fairfield, a really good win. They held on. Yes, uh, we weren't happy to see that lead uh, dissipate, but Nelly with a monster game with uh, 18 points and 16 boards. Then uh, John Luis with four great explosive moves to the basket and finishing, which is always important and their foul shooting was uh, 20 for 23, so that was nice to see an uptick in that. One thing, and their press in both games was outstanding. outstanding. Um, I think College Hoops got to the, 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 the road trip up to Buffalo this weekend, Jim. How's that sound? That,
0: <laughs> I, it's too cold up there for me. I'm going to be watching on TV with you, John, from Chester. <laughs> okay, great. All right, bye-bye now. Thank you for the call, John. Thanks, everybody. Great show. We'll talk to you next week on College Hoops Chats.